Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Common Room Talk. My name's Tony, and I'm your host. Last week, we went through Chapter 8, The Potions Master. And in that chapter, we got our introduction really to the different types of lessons that Harry and his classmates are going to be having throughout the entire series, minus the few that are really added throughout the rest of the series. We got to really see the the base core of his lessons and ultimately end up seeing what potions class was like and we got to see the beginning of the relationship of harry and professor snape which really does not get off to a great start by any means and really when you come to think about how their relationship really started even though that wasn't the first time that snape was made aware of Harry's existence, though it seemed as if it would be. We know as we've gone through the series, for those of us who have been through the series before, know that Snape is aware of Harry, and these are a little bit of spoilers here, and we know that actually plays into the relationship now about or with Harry and Snape. And so... There's a lot to this relationship. It ends up becoming very complex. But as for right now, their relationship's not off to a good start. Harry doesn't know why Professor Snape doesn't like him. He tried to bring it up with Hagrid, and Hagrid really wouldn't meet his eyes, which made Harry suspicious of the fact that Hagrid might be hiding something. Tonight, though, we are going to be starting Chapter 9, The Midnight Duel. And for any of you that are just movie-only fans and you haven't read the book and this is your first time hearing about these things, this entire segment is going to be completely new to you. Now, there are a few things in here that are tied in with the movies, but most of this is going to be different except for the end of the chapter, which is kind of brought into the movie in a different way, but the primary elements of it really are the same. And so, yeah, this is it. This is the Midnight Duel, and actually, I'm really hoping that we can get through this whole chapter in this episode. And if that means that this episode's a little bit longer, that's fine. We're going to, but there's also something I want to read at the end of this, which might make it a little bit longer. But something I'm really excited about is... Next week is Halloween week, and it just so happened, and I did not plan this by any means, next week we're going to be doing the Halloween chapter in this book. And I thought that just played out really well. I don't know how it happened. It just so happened that when I started, and then on the episodes where we ended up having to split into two episodes for a chapter, ultimately led to this, Halloween on Halloween. That's really cool to me. I really like how that played out. But again, tonight, chapter nine, The Midnight Duel. And it starts off with Harry contemplating on Draco in the sense of he thought that he would never meet anyone that he hated more than Dudley, but he was wrong now that he had met Draco Malfoy. And even though the first year Gryffindors only had potions with the Slytherins, They didn't really have to put up with Malfoy very much, and that was until they realized when they came across a flyer in the Gryffindor common room, which told them that their flying lessons would be starting on Thursdays, and the Gryffindors and Slytherins would be learning 
together. And Harry says, typical, just what I've always wanted, to make a fool of myself on a broomstick in front of Malfoy. And again, just one of those uh, preteen boy thoughts. Obviously, all of this is just still very new for Harry, and Draco is still very new for him. So obviously, this kind of sarcastic desire is only very newly lived I just think it's funny how it's put that way because that's actually how people think. But it said that he had actually been looking forward. I don't know why I held on to those O's and that word there for looking, but he had been looking forward to flying more than anything else. And now this is a part where you see here in the book that is different in the movie between Ron and Harry as are talking. He said, this is Ron, you don't know you'll make a fool of yourself said Ron reasonably. Anyway, I know Malfoy is going to be on about how good he is at Quidditch, but I bet it's all talk. That point that I that I brought up is you don't know you'll make a fool of yourself in the movies that comes after Harry is accepted onto something, which we'll talk about later in this, but I don't want to give it away just yet. But as Harry and Ron are walking through a courtyard in the movie, they pass Hermione. And this part always confused me in the movie. And I know it's probably just the way that Hermione is just pronouncing the words, but Harry and Ron are talking. He says, what if I make a fool of myself? And Hermione jumps up and says, you won't make a fool of yourself. But the way that she says it, it sounds like she says you will make a fool of yourself. If you've never seen that part or paid attention to it before, go back and listen to it because it really sounds like she says you will make a fool of yourself. And then Hermione takes them off and shows them something where Harry finds out something about his father, but he finds it out in this chapter in a little bit of a different way. And I know that's really vague and probably very confusing, but I promise it's going to make more sense as we get through the chapter. And so as Ron was saying that he bets that Malfoy is really not good at Quidditch and that it's all talk, Malfoy certainly did talk about flying a lot. And he complained loudly about first years never getting onto the house Quidditch teams and told long boastful stories which always seemed to end with him narrowly escaping muggles and helicopters. But he wasn't the only one who did this. It seems like other students did this as well. Uh, the way Seamus Finnegan told it, he had spent most of his childhood zooming around the countryside on his broomstick. Now, I'm going to say that probably is all talk, but it makes me think about something. And this is four movies down the road, but something that I wanted to bring up, which just bugs me so much. This is probably one of the top three things I dislike most about the movies and it is the scene where the order shows up to pick harry up and this is the first time he's being escorted really to where he is going in the start of the movie and in the book it happens and we're going to talk about this later and hopefully we'll forget by the time we get to there that we've talked about this but in the book the order shows up, they all take broomsticks and they fly in a formation super high above any cities or anything like that to avoid being seen. But in the movie, they're flying in and out of like buildings and past boats and ships that are on the river. They fly past, uh, I believe it is the, the palace in London. And it just, it blows my mind that JK Rowling allowed that in the movie when there's so much 
put into the statute of secrecy. And when I went over this again, it made me think about that. And it has absolutely nothing to do with this chapter tonight. It was just me standing on a soapbox ranting about things that I dislike about the movies. But there's a lot more than that that I dislike about the movies. Could go on forever about it. But here, Seamus Finnegan talked about how he would be zooming around the countryside on his broomstick and then Ron would tell anyone who would listen about the time that he'd almost hit a hang glider on Charlie's old broom and it says everyone from wizarding families constantly talked about Quidditch and Ron actually had an argument with Dean about one of his posters it was a football poster that's soccer to us Americans and Ron couldn't see anything exciting about a game that was only played with one ball and they weren't even allowed to fly and then Ron was actually caught by Harry prodding the poster, trying to get it to move because the poster was just a regular muggle poster. Nothing on it moved and Ron couldn't understand it. And it makes me wonder about why Ron thought he could probably get it to move with magic because I know we find out in a later book that pictures are made to move based on a potion that they're developed in. And I don't know if that's the only way that it's done. You don't really see any other ways that it is discussed. And I don't know if Ron is aware of that yet. I mean, he is still a young first year. It continues on saying that Neville had never been on a broomstick in his entire life because his grandmother had never let him near one. And privately, Harry thought to himself she had a good reason because Neville had a hard time avoiding accidents just on the ground on both feet. And then Hermione was almost in the same spot, not about being clumsy. She had just never been around a broomstick before. And this wasn't something that she could learn out of a book, even though she had tried. At breakfast on Thursday morning, she bored everyone who was listening with the tips that she got out of Quidditch through the ages. And Neville was hanging on to every word, desperate for anything that would help him in today's lesson. The Alpo shows up. Harry says that he hasn't had a single letter since his note from Hagrid, something that Malfoy was quick to notice. His eagle owl had been bringing him packages with sweets and stuff from home, and then a barn owl had brought Neville a small package from his grandmother, and he opened it excitedly and showed them a glass ball the size of a large marble, which seemed to be full of white smoke. It's a remember-all, he explained. Grand knows I forget things. This tells you if there's something you've forgotten to do. Now, in the movie, when he gets this, it's this glass ball, and he holds it, and it turns red, as it does here in the book. It says, his face fell because the remember-all had suddenly glowed scarlet. You've forgotten something. Neville was trying to remember what he had forgotten when Draco Malfoy, who was passing the Gryffindor table, snatched the remember-all out of his hand. So, in the movie... When he picks up the remember-all, he's the only one at the table not wearing his school robes. So that might be the thing that he had forgotten as he's sitting there holding the remember-all. But we do know when it comes to Neville that he is not the brightest wick in the candle. He's not dumb by any means. He is just very forgetful and sometimes a little bit ditzy. But here in the book, as... Draco grabs the remember-all from Neville. Harry and Ron jump to their feet, and they were half hoping for a reason to fight Malfoy. But it says that Professor McGonagall, who could spot trouble quicker than any other teacher, 
in the school was there in a flash. What's going on? Malfoy's got my remember-all, Professor. Malfoy quickly dropped the remember-all back on the table, and he said, just looking, and he sloped away with Crab and Goyle behind him. So at 3.30 in the afternoon, Harry, Ron, and the other Gryffindors went down the front steps into the grounds for their first flying lesson. It was a great day for it. It says that it was clear. There was a slight breeze, and the grass rippled under their feet as they marched down the sloping lawns towards the smooth lawn on the opposite side of the grounds to the Forbidden Forest, whose trees were swaying darkly in the distance. It says that the Slytherins were already there, and so were 20 broomsticks lying in neat lines on the ground. Harry was thinking to himself about how he had heard Fred and George complain about the school brooms, that some of them would start to vibrate if you flew too high, or some of them would always fly slightly to the left. And then their teacher, Madame Hooch, had arrived. She had short gray hair and yellow eyes like a hawk. I'm really excited about this. So for Halloween and Beggar's Night next week, going to a friend's house, uh, people that are very dear to me, and they are doing some Halloween setups in the theme of Harry Potter. And it's really great because one of them is dressing up as Madame Hooch. And I cannot wait to see how she pulls this off. And it's funny because her husband, the person that I look up to as a father figure, he is dressing up as Lucius Malfoy. And so it's going to be great. I'm going as well. Unfortunately, my wife can't go. She is doing stuff for her work and trick or treat. But I'm going. And if things go properly, I'm going dressed as Auror Harry. So I'm really excited about it. And if we get to pull this off and it and it turns out great, there's definitely going to be pictures up for everyone to see. But yeah, we're going to have Lucius Malfoy and Madame Hooch there, and I cannot wait to see this. Madame Hooch immediately steps up, says, what are you waiting for? Everyone stand by a broomstick. Come on, hurry up. And in the movie, this is Obviously, it kind of starts like this. You see all the broomsticks lined up. Harry is there with the other members of his class. Slytherins are there as well. And Madame Hooch comes walking up the center of the broomsticks. And it looks like there's 10 on each side with a good space in between them. And she tells them the same thing. Stand next to your broomstick, put your hand over it, and yell up. Here she says, everyone stand by a broomstick. Come on, hurry up. And it says, Harry glanced down at his broomstick. It was old and some of the twigs stuck out at odd angles. And she says, stick your right hand over your broom and say up. And everyone shouted at the same time, up. Harry's broom jumped into his hand at once, but it was one of the few that did. Hermione Granger simply rolled over on the ground and Neville's hadn't moved at all. Perhaps brooms, like horses, could tell when you were afraid, thought Harry. There was a quiver in Neville's voice that said only too clearly that he wanted to keep his feet on the ground. Then it continues with Madame Hoot showing them how to mount their brooms without sliding off the end and walked up and down the rows correcting their grips. Harry and Ron were delighted when she told Malfoy he had been doing it wrong for years. Madame Hooch then continues saying, now when I blow my whistle, kick off the ground hard. Keep your broom steady, rise a few feet, and then come straight back down by leaning forward slightly. On my whistle, three, two, and then 
Neville, who was nervous and jumpy and frightened of being left on the ground, pushed off hard before the whistle had touched Madame Hooch's lips. And so this is what we do see in the movie as he does right before she is finished blowing her whistle, kind of comes up off the ground and then just starts frantically flying around in a panic with zero control, and we we see that happen here. Come back, boy, she shouted, but Neville was rising straight up like a cork, shot out of a bottle, 12 feet, 20 feet. Harry saw his scared white face look down to the ground, saw him gasp, slip sideways off his broom, and wham! A thud and a nasty crack, and Neville lay face down on the grass in a heap. His broomstick was still rising higher and higher and started to drift lazily towards the forbidden forest and out of sight. So pretty much again what we see in the movies. Now in the movies he makes his way over some of the turrets and the walls and ends up getting caught on a statue with its spear hanging out and tears his robes. It eventually falls and Madame Hooch goes off towards him to help him up. And she gets there here in the book. Broken wrist, Harry heard her mutter, Come on, boy, it's all right. You get up. She turned to the rest of the class. None of you is to move while I take this boy to the hospital wing. You leave those brooms where they are, or you'll be out of Hogwarts before you can say Quidditch. Which is almost word for word what she says in the movie. So Neville is tear-faced. He He's obviously upset, clutching his wrist, and he bobs off with Madame Hooch who had her arm around him. No sooner were they out of earshot than Malfoy burst into laughter. Did you see his face? The great lump. The other Slytherins were laughing, making fun of him. And Pavardi Patil actually steps up here. She says, shut up, Malfoy. And Pansy Parkinson, Slytherin girl, says, ooh, sticking up for Longbottom. Never thought you would like the fat little crybabies, Pavardi. Then Malfoy says, look, and he darts forward and he snatches something out of the grass. It's that stupid thing Longbottom's Graham sent him. The Remember All glittered in the sun as he held it up. So that is pretty much what we see in the movie where they actually give Malfoy a curse word in the movie. And on this next page here, we actually have a really cool looking portrait of a close up part of one of the walls of Hogwarts. There is a lot of ivy and moss and grass and stuff like growing up the side of the castle, which is weird to me that, and again, it's a beautiful portrait. I love it. You see Malfoy actually sitting here on his broomstick, holding the remember all his Slytherin scarf hanging off behind him. It kind of portrays the idea of him moving forward, but we were told that they were on a lawn, that they were kind of away from the castle a little bit. And so it is strange that it would be this close up to the castle, even here in the book. But Harry moves in, says, give that here, Malfoy. Everyone stopped talking to watch. Malfoy smiled nastily. He says, I think I'll leave it for somewhere for Longbottom to find. I'm going to say that again. I think I'll leave it somewhere for Longbottom to collect. How about up a tree? That was the proper way. I started to go into what the movie says and... In the movie, he says, how about on a roof? And then he takes off. Harry yells, give it here. But Malfoy had leapt on his broomstick and taken off. And he hadn't been lying. He could fly well. Hovering level with the topmost branches of an oak, he called, come and get it, Potter. And so Harry grabs his broom. And Hermione shouts, 
No, Madam Hooch told us not to move. You'll get us all into trouble. Harry ignores her. His blood was pounding in his ears. He mounts his broom and he kicks off hard against the ground and up and up he soared. Air rushed through his hair. His robes whipped behind him, and in a rush of fierce joy, he realized he had found something he could do without being taught. This was easy. This was wonderful. He pulled his broomstick up a little to take it even higher and heard screams and gasps as girls back on the ground and an admiring whoop from Ron. So he's up in the air, Malfoy's up in the air, and they're facing each other. He turns his broomstick sharply to face Malfoy in midair. Malfoy looked stunned. Harry says, give it here or I'm going to knock you off your broom. Malfoy says, oh yeah, trying to sneer, but he did look worried. And Harry knew somehow what to do. He leant forward and grasped his broom tightly in both hands, and he shot towards Malfoy like a javelin. Malfoy only just got out of the way in time. Harry made a sharp turn and held the broom steady. A few people below were clapping. No crab and goyle up here to save your neck, Malfoy, Harry called, and the same thought seemed to have struck Malfoy. He says, catch it if you can, and then he tosses the glass ball high into the air, and then he streaks back towards the ground. Harry saw, as though in slow motion, the ball rise up in the air and then start to fall. He leant forward and pointed his broom handle down. Next second, he was gathering speed in a steep dive, racing the ball. Wind whistled in his ears, mingled with the screams of people watching. He stretched out his hand, a foot from the ground. He caught it, just in time to pull his broom straight. He toppled gently on the grass with the remember all clutched safely in his fist. Now, I know I said earlier that most of this chapter would not be something that movie-only people would be aware of. This is obviously one of those parts that is in the movies, and I just wanted to clarify that because I know that I did say that at the beginning, but I didn't say definitively that all of this chapter was. So this is one of those parts, but this does lead up to more of what we don't see in the movie or what actually has changed in the movie. So Harry touches back down on the ground with the remember all clutched safely in his fist, and he hears Harry Potter. His heart sank faster than he had just dived, because Professor McGonagall came running towards them, and he got up to his feet, trembling. And she is upset, clearly. She's stumbling over words, never, in all of my time at Hogwarts. She was almost speechless with shock, and her glasses flashed furiously. How dare you might have broken your neck and then somebody tries to speak up. It wasn't his fault, Professor. And she says, be quiet, Miss Patil. But Malfoy, that's enough, Mr. Weasley. Potter, follow me. And so Harry looks over and sees Malfoy Crab and Goyle's triumphant faces, voices, faces as he left, walking numbly in Professor McGonagall's wake as she strode towards the castle. He thinks he's going to be expelled. He just knew it. This was just his imagination going crazy again he said he wanted to say something to defend himself but there just seemed to be something wrong with his voice professor mcgonagall was just taking him through the castle not even looking back at him and he just his thoughts kept on going this is it it's only two weeks in and now he's going to be suspended he's going to be expelled he's going to be packing his bags in 10 minutes and what would the dursleys say when he turned up on the doorsteps they go up the front steps up the marble staircase inside and still professor mcgonagall didn't say a word to him she wrenched open doors and marched along corridors and harry was barely keeping up with her in a jog 
Maybe she was taking him to Dumbledore. Harry thought of Hagrid and how he was expelled and thought maybe he could stay on as his assistant, help him around the grounds or something like that. And then the thought of other people seeing him maybe would just be weird. It turns his stomach as he imagined Ron and others becoming wizards while he stumped around the grounds carrying Hagrid's bag. And Professor McGonagall stopped outside of a classroom. She opened the door and poked her head inside. Excuse me, Professor Flitwick. Could I borrow wood for a moment? Now, in the movies, she goes to Professor Quirrell's room to ask for wood. Here, it's Professor Flitwick. And Harry thought, wood, was this some kind of cane that she was going to use on him? So he thought he was about to get beaten by a cane. But Wood turned out to be a person, a burly fifth-year boy who came out of Flitwick's class looking confused. Professor McGonagall tells them both to follow her. They walk a few rooms down, pointed into a classroom which was empty except for Peeves, who was busy writing rude words on the blackboard. She tells Peeves to get out, and he leaves while cursing. Professor McGonagall slammed the door behind them and returned to face the two boys. Potter, this is Oliver Wood. Wood? I found you a seeker. Wood's expression changed from puzzlement to delight. Are you serious, Professor? Absolutely, Professor McGonagall crisply answered. The boy's a natural. I've never seen anything like it. Was that your first time on a broomstick, Potter? And Harry just nodded silently. He didn't have a clue what was going on, but he didn't seem to be getting expelled. And something of the feeling started to come back to his legs. He caught that thing in his hand after a 50-foot dive. This is Professor McGonagall talking to Wood still. Didn't even scratch himself. Charlie Weasley couldn't have done it. Wood was now looking as though all his dreams had come true. Ever seen a game of Quidditch, Potter? He asked excitedly. Wood's captain of the Gryffindor team, Professor McGonagall explained. Now, obviously, in the later series, we do see that there are tryouts for the Quidditch teams. There might have been for this series as well. We don't know because that's not what we see here. Professor McGonagall actually appoints Harry as the seeker. And so maybe Wood just couldn't find one and that was just a dilemma that was going on. And so this was just the answer to that. It says that it looked like his dreams had come true. So maybe he had been exhaustively trying to find a seeker to no avail. And so this was great news for him. But he continues on assessing Harry. He said he's just the build for a seeker too. Now walking around Harry and staring at him. Light, speedy. We'll have to get him a decent broom, Professor. A Nimbus 2000 or a clean sweep 7, I'd say. And Professor McGonagall then chimes up. I'll shall speak with Professor Dumbledore and see if we can't bend the first year rule. Heaven knows we need a better team than last year. Flattened in that last match by Slytherin, I couldn't look Severus Snape in the face for weeks. Professor McGonagall then finishes by sternly glaring at Harry over her glasses, and she says, I want to hear your training hard, Potter, or I may change my mind about punishing you. And then she suddenly smiled. Your father would have been proud, she said. He was an excellent Quidditch player himself. Now, what I alluded to earlier about Harry finding out something when he was with Ron and Hermione in the movies was Hermione leads them to some old trophy cases which showed a trophy for James Potter. I believe it had him in the seeker position as well. And that's how he found out about his dad being a seeker. 
But here in the book, it's Professor McGonagall who tells him. And so then later on at dinner, we hear Ron say, you're joking, as he was telling him, as Harry was telling him about what had happened with Professor McGonagall and Oliver Wood. Ron had a piece of steak and kidney pie halfway in his mouth, but he had forgotten all about it. Seeker, he said, but first years never. You must be the youngest house player in about a century. Harry finished his sentence for him. Wood told me Ron was so amazed and so impressed that he just sat and gaped at Harry. And Harry continues telling him he starts his training next week. Only don't tell anyone. Wood wants to keep it a secret. Fred and George then come into the picture. They say, well done to Harry. Wood just told us we're on the team two beaters. I tell you, we're going to win the Quidditch Cup for sure this year, said Fred. We haven't won since Charlie left, but this year's team's going to be brilliant. You must be good, Harry. Wood was almost skipping when he told us. Anyway, we've got to go. Lee Jordan reckons he has found another secret passage and so they take off and it says that they hardly disappeared when Malfoy flanked with Grab and Goyle showed up and so immediately Malfoy starts antagonizing saying having a last meal Potter Harry says you're a lot braver now that you're back on the ground and you've got your little friends with you and this was of course not true about Crab and Goyle because they were not little but as the high table was full of teachers, there was nothing they can do but sit there and crack their knuckles and scowl. And one of the running jokes that I have in my head is all of the times that you see Crab and Goyle standing in the background, cracking their knuckles, flexing their muscles, doing all of these things. And it's like, how do they not just look silly, like standing there, like flexing their muscles at Harry? <laughs> like, what is that supposed to do? And I don't know, a different generation, maybe that would have been an intimidating thing. I don't know, but it is really funny to me to think about them just standing in the middle of crowded, like mess halls, great halls, classrooms, corridors, just sitting there constantly cracking knuckles and, and flexing their muscles to try and intimidate Harry and Ron. But Malfoy says, I'd take you on any time on my own tonight. If you want wizards duel wands only no contact. What's the matter? Never heard of a wizards duel before. Ron chimes in and says, of course he has. I'm his second. Who's yours? And it says that Malfoy looked back at Crab and Goyle, sizing them up. Crabby said, midnight all right. We'll meet you in the trophy room. That's always unlocked. So Malfoy, Crab, and Goyle exit the scene. And Harry turns on Ron and asks, what's a wizard duel? And what do you mean you're my second? And so Ron goes into explaining what it is. It says that a second takes over if he was to die. And he caught Harry's look and added quickly, but people only die in proper duels, you know, with real wizards. The most you and Malfoy will be able to do is send sparks at each other, and neither of you knows enough magic to do any real damage. I bet he expected you to refuse anyways. And he says, "What? this is Harry, what if I wave my wand and nothing happens? Ron says, throw it away and punch him on the nose. Excuse me, they both looked up and it was Hermione Granger. Can a person eat in peace in this place, said Ron. Hermione ignored him and spoke to Harry. I couldn't help overhearing what you and Malfoy were saying. And she's cut off when Ron says, bet you could. But she continues, and you mustn't go on wandering around the school at night. Think of the points you'll lose, Gryffindor, if you're caught. And you're bound to be. It's really very selfish of you. And it's really none of your business, said Harry. Goodbye, said Ron. This is one of the few times that you actually see Harry being a little rude towards Hermione. Thankfully, that doesn't really continue much because I don't like it. So the rest of the day, 
goes by and Harry's in dormitory at nighttime and he's just kind of contemplating on what is getting ready to go down. And it says that he feels bad for breaking another school rule, but Malfoy's face kept leering up at him out of the darkness. And this was his big chance to beat Malfoy face to face, and he couldn't miss it. So half past 11, Ron muttered, at last, we'd better go. So they pulled on their dressing gowns, and I really want to know what this is, because when I think of dressing gowns, all I can think of is my grandma and what her dressing gown was. And I know they meet up with Hermione here in a second. She's wearing a pink dressing gown, and... Somebody please inform me on what these are. I know I could Google it, but I'd rather have your guys' input. Uh, what does the male's dressing gown look like? So they reached the, the portrait hole when a voice spoke from the chair nearest them. I can't believe you're going to do this, Harry. A lamp flickered on and it was Hermione and she was in her pink dressing gown and she had a frown. It's a nice little rhyme. You, said Ron furiously, go back to bed. I almost told your brother, Hermione snapped. Percy, he's a prefect. He had put a stop to this. Harry couldn't believe anyone could be so infuriating. Come on, he said to Ron. He pushed open the portrait of the fat lady and climbed through the hole. And Hermione wasn't going to give up that easily, so she follows him through the portrait, hissing at them like an angry goose. Don't care about Gryffindor, do you? You only care about yourselves. I don't want Slytherin to win the House Cup, and you're going to lose all the points that I got from Professor McGonagall for knowing about switching spells. Go away. All right, but I warned you, you just remember what I said when you're on the train home tomorrow. Hermione turned to go back into the common room, but the fat lady was gone, and so she was stuck out there with the boys. She says, what am I going to do now? They said, that's your problem. They hadn't even reached the end of the corridor when Hermione caught up with them. I'm coming with you. She said, no, you're not. Do you think I'm going? So they're sitting here just bickering. And then Harry says, shut up, both of you. I heard something. It was some sort of snuffling. Mrs. Norris, Ron breathed, squinting through the dark. But it wasn't Mrs. Norris. It was Neville. He was curled up on the floor, fast asleep, but jerked suddenly awake as they crept nearer. Thank goodness you found me. I've been out here for hours. I couldn't remember the new password to get in. Keep your voice down, Neville. The password's pig snout. But it won't help you now. The fat lady's gone off somewhere. And Harry asked how his arm was. He says, fine. Madame Pomfrey minute it in about a minute. Good. Well, we've got to get going. We have somewhere to be. We'll see you later. Neville says, don't leave me. And he scrambles to his feet and catches up with them. I don't want to stay here alone. The bloody baron's been passed twice already. Ron looked at his watch and then glared furiously at Hermione and Neville. If either of you get us caught, I'll never rest until I've learned that curse of the bogeys Quarrel told us about and used it on you. So they then creep their way through the corridors, frightened that after any corner they were going to run into Mr. Filch or Mrs. Norris, but they were lucky. They sped up a staircase to the third floor and tiptoed toward the trophy room. Malfoy and Crab were not there. The trophy cases glimmered where they caught the moonlight on them. Cups and shields and plates and statues winked silver and gold in the darkness. He's late. Maybe he's chickened out, Ron whispered. And there was a noise in the next room that made them jump. Sniff around, my sweet. They might be lurking in a corner. It was Filch speaking to Mrs. Norris. Horror struck, Harry waved madly at the other three to follow him as quickly as possible, and they scurried silently towards the door away from Filch's voice. Neville's robes had barely whipped around the corner when they heard Filch enter the trophy room. 
They're in here somewhere, they heard him mutter. They're probably hiding. This way, Harry mouthed to the others, and petrified, they began to creep down a long gallery full of suits of armor. Now, on this page, going across the entire bottom half of both pages, you see six suits of armor that are standing on pedestals, except for one little short one, which I would like to think maybe was a representation of Sir Cadogan, who we will see later on. But behind the suits of armors, you see the silhouettes, the shadows of Harry, Ron, Hermione, and Neville. And it's really funny because when you look at these suits of armor, there's a bunch of different little things about them. Most of them, except for the one that I think would represent Sir Cadogan as gold, all of them are all silver. One of them has like a toboggan beanie on his head. One has an axe that looks like a giant whale for like the uh, the blade. One is wearing a gold and black scarf. And one is wearing a pair of purple underwear with a green mohawk. And if you're wondering, that black and gold scarf belongs to Hufflepuff. They could hear Filch getting nearer. Neville freaks out and breaks into a run. He trips, grabs Ron around the waist, and the pair of them toppled right into a suit of armor. The clanging and crashing were enough to wake the whole school. Run, Harry yelled, and the four of them sprinted down the gallery, not looking back to see whether Filch was following. They swung around the doorpost and galloped down one corridor, then another, Harry in the lead without any idea where they were or where they were going. They ripped through a tapestry and found themselves in a hidden passageway, hurtled along it, and came out near their charms classroom, which they knew was miles from the trophy room. I think we've lost him, Harry panted, leaning against the cold wall and wiping his forehead. Neville was bent double, wheezing and spluttering. And so Hermione was telling them, gasping for breath, I told you, I told you so, I told you. We've got to get back to the Gryffindor Tower, Ron said, quickly as possible. Malfoy tricked you, Hermione said to Harry. You realize that, don't you? He was never going to meet you. Filch knew someone was going to be in the trophy room. Malfoy must have tipped him off. And Harry thought that she was probably right, but he says, anyways, let's go. And it wasn't going to be that simple. They hadn't gone more than a dozen paces when a doorknob rattled and something came shooting out of the classroom in front of them. It was Peeves. Now, on the right-hand side, we get kind of like the first look at Peeves here. And he is, it looks like kind of like half an apparition, um, more, a little more than a ghost, I, I would say is what he looks like, because he looks different than the other ghosts. He's not as transparent as them. He's kind of ghostly green, almost like an eerie underwater green look to him. And he has these, these frills and ruffles around his cuffs and in his, his neck, um, like his collar. And his hair is kind of like sticking straight up. And it almost does look like he's kind of like under water. And he has this really wiry, long mustache coming out from underneath his nose and leaving his face in a long, twisty, what we would consider like a sophisticated mustache twirl. And then the tiniest little sliver of a beard coming off of where his soul patch would be. Shut up, Peeves. Please, you're going to get us thrown out. Peeves cackled, wandering around at midnight, ickle firsties, tut, 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 naughty, naughty, you'll get caughty. Not if you don't give us away, Peeves, please. 
Should tell Filch, I should, said Peeves in a saintly voice, but his eyes glittered wickedly. It's for your own good, you know. Get out of the way, snapped Ron, taking a swipe at Peeves. This was a big mistake. Students out of bed, Peeves bellowed. Students out of bed, down the charms corridor. And then, ducking under Peeves, they ran for their lives. This is it, Ron moaned. We're done for. This is the end. They could hear footsteps. Filch was running as fast as he could towards Peeves' shouts. Oh, move over, Hermione snarled. They had run into a door that they couldn't move. Now, we see this in the movie as well, but under different circumstances. In the movies, right after Hermione shows them the trophies for Harry's dad being a Quidditch player, they are then seen in the next scene walking up a staircase. The staircase starts to shift positions as they were halfway up it. And they get to the top and they say, let's go this way. Yeah, before the staircase moves again. And then they go in through this door where it is empty, dark, and full of cobwebs. Ron says, anyone get the feeling we're not supposed to be here? And Hermione says, yeah, we're not. This is the third floor. And they get ready to turn around, but Mrs. Norris walks in. And so they tell Mrs. Norris to book it, but then they hear Filch coming. So they take off and come to the next door, which is where we are here in this scene, coming up to this door. They heard footsteps, Filch running as fast as he could towards Peeves shouts, oh, move over, Hermione snarled. She grabbed Harry's wand, tapped the lock, and whispered, Alohomora. The lock clicked, and the door swung open. They piled through it, shut it quickly, and pressed their ears against it, listening. Now, obviously, if you didn't understand it from this, Alohomora is a spell that unlocks doors magically. Filch is then arguing with Peeves about which way they went, and Peeves says, Shan't say nothing if you don't say please. Filch says please, and Peeves yells nothing. Ha, told you I wouldn't say nothing if you didn't say please. Ha, ha, ha. And they heard the sound of Peeves whooshing away and Filch cursing in rage. He thinks his door is locked, Harry whispered. I think we'll be okay. Get off, Neville, for Neville had been tugging on the sleeve of Harry's dressing gown for the last minute. What? Harry turned around and saw quite clearly what? Now... Obviously, in the movies, as we're going to continue this comparison, Neville is not with them at this point, nor were they here because of Peeves, because unfortunately, Peeves is not in the movies. But they do get through this locked door, and in the movie, Ron is saying, it's weird to think this door was locked, and Hermione said this door was locked, and you hear Harry say, yeah, and for good reason, and then Ron and Hermione turn around and see what Harry is staring at. Here in the book, it was Neville who was tugging on the sleeve of Harry's dressing gown for the last minute. What? He turned around and saw quite clearly what, for a moment, he was sure he had walked into a nightmare. This was too much on top of everything that had happened so far. They weren't in a room, as he had supposed. They were in a corridor, their forbidden corridor on the third floor. Now they knew why it was forbidden. They were looking straight into the eyes of a monstrous dog, a dog which filled the whole space between ceiling and floor. It had three heads, three pairs of rolling mad eyes, three noses twitching and quivering in their direction, three drooling mouths, saliva hanging in slippering ropes from their yellowish fangs. It was standing quite still, all six eyes staring at them, 
and Harry knew that the only reason they weren't already dead was because their sudden appearance had taken it by surprise, but it was quickly getting over that. There was no mistaking what those thunderous growls meant. Harry groped for the doorknob between Filch and Death. He would take Filch. They fell backwards. He slammed the door shut, and they ran. They almost flew back down the corridor. Filch must have hurried off to look for them somewhere else because they didn't see him anywhere, but they hardly cared. All they wanted to do was put as much space as possible between them and that monster. They didn't stop running until they had reached the portrait of the fat lady on the seventh floor. And that's pretty much what we saw in the movies. They all three turned towards the dog and then yelled. The dog starts barking and they then run out of the room trying hard to slam the door shut against the dog. The lady asks where they had been. They say, never mind that pig snout, pig snout. Harry was panting and they scrambled in to the common room and collapsed, trembling into armchairs. It says it was a while before any of them spoke, and then we see a line from Ron, which we also see in the movie. What do they think they're doing keeping a thing like that locked up in a school? That's what he does say almost exact, well, literally word for word in the movie. If any dog needs exercise, that one does. That we don't see him say in the movie. You don't use your eyes, any of you, do you? Didn't you see what it was standing on? The floor, Harry suggested. I wasn't looking at its feet. I was too busy with its heads, which is more of what we see Ron say in the movie. No, not the floor. It was standing on a trap door. It's obviously guarding something. She stood up, glaring at them. I hope you're pleased with yourselves. We could have been killed, or worse, expelled, which is one of her iconic lines from the movie. Now, if you don't mind, I'm going to bed. Ron stared at her, his mouth open. No, we don't mind, he said. You'd think we dragged her along, wouldn't you? But Hermione had given Harry something else to think about as he climbed back into bed. The dog was guarding something. What had Hagrid said? Gringotts was the safest place in the world for something you wanted to hide, except perhaps Hogwarts. It looked as though Harry had found out where the grubby little package from the vault 713 was. And that is the end of the ninth chapter midnight duel now the thing that i wanted to read here at the end i think is something that was really interesting it is from the book harry potter a journey through a history of magic and what we're looking at here is an original sketch by jk rowling that has one two three four five people one of them holding no two of them actually holding candles nope i lied sorry the book was creased here three of them are holding candles and you can tell that it's dark and it's only lit by the candles here harry is in the front with his glasses and this is an original hand-drawn illustration by rowling it shows neville ron harry hermione and gary who was later renamed dean who was actually cut from the scene coming face to face with a huge three-headed dog which is guarding something J.K. Rowling has included details in the illustration to highlight each student's character. Neville's bunny pajamas, Ron's freckles, and Hermione's large front teeth. I meant to say Hermione's, but I, I bunched that word up. 
This drawing provides an exciting insight into how J.K. Rowling initially imagined her characters to look. And you do see Neville, who is on the far left, his little bunny pajamas. He is a round-faced boy, Ron next to him, taller than everybody else, holding his candle, and he has his robes on. Then you have Harry with his untidy hair, his glasses. He's standing in the front, holding a hand out. The next to him is Hermione with her, her big, bushy hair, and you do see her large front teeth. And then you see Gary, who is later named Dean, who is standing on the far right. And the only really significant thing about him is his flat top buzzed haircut. That was something I thought was really cool. But also another thing that I wanted to share was if you didn't realize this dog is created after a Greek and Roman mythology creature named Cerberus or Cerberus, however you want to say it. I say Cerberus. Severus features in many ancient legends. In Greek mythology, Severus was the monstrous three-headed dog that guarded the gates to the underworld. And I think that's just something that was really cool that you see all of these different just things that come in and really put together J.K. Rowling's world. There, there are things that we have heard in other places before, whether you have watch Disney movies or studied mythology in school. These are things that all make up this wizarding world. And that's so cool to me. And so, yeah, I thought it'd be really cool to share those with you guys. It's really neat insight into a lot of these things. And who would have thought that there was a character named Gary initially? That blew my mind when I first saw that. So Dean, who originally was Gary, sorry you didn't make that scene, ends up being a really cool scene, even though it is really different than the movie itself. So that's really going to be it. That's the end of this episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you want to reach out and talk to me, commonroomtalk at gmail.com. Give me your questions, comments, concerns, anything that you want to say. If you want it read live on an episode, let me know. We'll have a discussion that way. I think it'd be really cool to get your guys' input. Please, if you like it, share it on your guys' social media. Talk about it to anyone who has an interest in Harry Potter or if they have an a disinterest and you want to get them interested this is a great way to do it tell people this is a new unique way to go through the series to go through the story yes you can watch the movies yes you can read the books but this is a different way of doing it with a different perspective from somebody who has spent way too much time with his life in harry potter uh that being me but thank you guys so much for listening please like and share it my name's tony i'm your host and this is common room talk